Amen. Good morning. Welcome to Grace as y'all stand. Let's sing together. Now, this is a great song to start out with just because it kind of blatantly puts it out here. This is this is what we're here to do, to meet with our God and to sing with him, sing to him and join with people who love him. So you guys will sing these words out with us. Down on me, the world 
says that the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Lord, we pray that that would be true of us. That when we stumble, we would look to you for our strength, not to our own, to our own strength, to our own gifts, to our own flesh, but that we would turn to you, Lord. That we would rejoice in you. That we would see you as a forgiving heavenly Father that continues to draw us back to yourself and redeem us and use us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.
that in our weakness you are strong. Lord, help us to trust you. God, thank you for your grace. God, and for fulfilling our deepest need in a Savior, God. Help us to trust you every day that we have. God, help us to hear your word now, God, and change us through it. Lord, help it um, to find a place in our lives day by day. It's your name I pray. Amen. Why don't you stay seated? And uh, I'd like you to share something with each other. A couple of people next to you. Yeah, stay, stay standing. I told you. I'm sick. Okay, pray for me. I'm not going to make it through the next hour. Um, stay standing and share with someone the last relay race you participated in, whether it was like a mile relay or a three-legged race or whatever it might have been. Share with someone the last time you ran a relay. Wednesday night, that was the last relay race that I participated in, um, the 5th and 6th grade boys, so that's just a reminder to bring your 5th and 6th grade boys here on Wednesday night. Uh, we have lots of fun, sometimes with toilet paper. So, um, if you will open up your Bibles to 2 Timothy, and if you don't have a Bible, we've got some for you, some little black Bibles under the chairs, and we are in page 995 in those little black Bibles. It's the book of 2 Timothy. We were in Titus just a couple of weeks ago. We did a short series through the book of Titus. And when you take together the books of Titus and 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, you get what we call the pastoral letters, which are the letters that Paul wrote to his uh, men to set up, train, uh, and encourage pastors and leaders of churches. So you get a lot of instructions about how the church should run. There's a lot of similarity between 1 Timothy and Titus, so we just kind of skipped over 1 Timothy this time around. We might get it some other time as a church, but we looked at Titus and how the church should be set up. And we looked at this idea of the counterculture, that we should have a culture, a city within a city that's set up based on the truth of who God is and what he has to say about the world, instead of the way that the rest of the world runs and the way we've normally been operating based on the lie that was first believed in the Garden of Eden, that we don't need God that we can do life on our own. And that's the lie that the world generally lives by. And we're called to live a, a different way, set up this different culture, this beautiful culture that would be attractive and would radiate God's grace to those around us. And so we looked at that for six weeks in Titus, talking about the idea of a counterculture. In 2 Timothy, it's a shift in focus. And in 2 Timothy, this is the last will and testament of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is about to die. This is his last letter. And so there's going to be a much greater emphasis not on the nuts and bolts of how a church should operate, but that a church should keep going, that it should carry on to the next generation, that, that the flame wouldn't just die in that generation, but that it would keep going on, that it would keep carrying on, that it would go from generation to generation. And so that's going to be the focus that we'll look at in 2 Timothy, is that we would carry on. And uh, Paul was stuck in this dungeon underground with a great above him that was the only source of fresh air and light. And uh, that's the situation that he's, he's writing from. Must have had someone helping him to write, obviously. But he's in great pain. He's, he's suffering. And he knows that he's going to die soon. And he's training and encouraging Timothy, trying to give Timothy motivation to carry on, to keep it going, to not give up, but to keep moving forward with this gospel that he's been entrusted with. 
So let's look at the first few verses, and we'll just kind of get an introduction, a beginning of how Paul is trying to motivate Timothy to carry it on to the next generation. So we'll look at verses 1 through 5 in 2 Timothy. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I'm sure, dwells in you as well. Let's pray. Ask God to teach us from this section. Father, we pray that you would be our teacher. We pray that you would preserve my voice and be able to make it through this time together. pray that you preserve everyone else's wakefulness as well, and that you would help us to hear what you have to say, that you teach us, that you would love us and transform us by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my junior year in high school, um, I was trying to uh, put on weight to play football my senior year in high school. I've talked about this some before. Um, not, not big enough really to play football, but for, for some reason that was a sport that I loved. And so my coaches kept encouraging me to put on more weight. I played uh, defensive end and not big enough now and wasn't big enough then to play defensive end. And so always trying to get bigger and put on weight. Um, yet my coaches wanted me to come out for the track team as well. They were trying to encourage me to run track. And I remember having this conversation with my coaches saying, But, you know, if I I run all these long events, then I'm not going to be able to put on weight. It's just going to burn the weight back off of me. I'm not going to be able to be big enough to play my senior year football. So we worked out a little deal. I actually negotiated with my coaches because they coached football and track. So they cared about the football thing as well. And they said, all you have to run is the 100-meter high hurdles. So just a sprint. That's all you have to run. We're not going to make you run the long distances. Um, so that's why I joked earlier about the 5K. I know anybody in the Army can run a 5K, but I've never run that far in my life. So um, I just ran sprints. And so that, that enabled me to still train and still try to put on weight for football. But what happened is, is throughout the year uh, at one of the track meets, we had an injury on our mile relay team. And, and so we had a guy go down that, that couldn't then run in the mile relay, which was the last event of the night. And of course the coach wanted to have the mile relay. He wanted to go ahead and, and have that event go on so that we could still get points for the team in that track meet. Um, and so he came to me. He came to me, the one that was not trained, the one that was not in shape, the one that was not capable really of doing this race. And his job was to motivate me to, to carry on, to, to pass the baton. I actually have a little... Uh, little visual display for you this morning. <laughs> so, you know, in, in the relay, the mile relay, each, each participant, there's four guys that run one lap around the track, 400 meters, which again, I know for someone in the Army, that's not very far, but someone who's just been training to sprint, that's, that's a pretty long way to sprint for a full 400 meters. So I wasn't in shape for it, but, but my job was to run that 400 meters full speed, a full sprint, and then pass the baton on to the next guy and, and keep it going. And so my coach came to me and he encouraged me that he really believed in me. But we had a good relationship. There was, there was a, a, a nice, kind relationship that I had with this coach. He was like a father to me in some ways, kind of like Paul has with Timothy. And so he was able to encourage me. And he was able to, uh, to really kind of flatter me in some ways and say, you know, Dave, I believe in you. I know you can do it. I know that, that you'll go out there and you'll spill your guts for the team. And at that point, I should have thought, well, that doesn't really sound very good, right? Like, I, don't, I don't know why that should be encouraging to me, but for some reason, when you're 17, that kind of pumps you up. And I was thinking, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go do it. I'll go kill myself for the team, basically. And so I go out there, and I have to, I have to run this full sprint. And I'm not trained for it. I'm, I'm not really ready to do it. But, but I know that the team needs me. They, they need me to pass this baton, to, to carry it on, to keep it going. And you're probably wondering how it went, right? Like, did, it, did I make it all the way around the track? Well, I'll, I'll tell you that at the end, how that went. I, was, I wasn't prepared. I, I wasn't trained for it. And, and I think that's very similar to the situation that Timothy finds himself in. Um, I relate to Timothy 
a lot because Timothy was this guy that was a pastor and a leader in the church, uh, yet he was timid. He was somewhat shy. He was somewhat withdrawn. Um, I, I can relate to that. I'm a somewhat shy person myself. Um, we, we also know that Timothy had stomach problems. I, I have stomach ailments. And, you know, you've got Paul telling Timothy to take wine and not always drink the water. You know, a lot of times the water was bad. So he's like, you know, Timothy, you need to drink wine sometimes and not always water. You're getting sick a lot. And so he's, he's prescribing to Timothy some things to try to help him with these ailments that he's having. So we know that Timothy was kind of sickly. I mean, he was somewhat shy. He was somewhat withdrawn. And he needed to be encouraged again and again to carry on, to keep fighting. And I, and I can relate to that. Just like I didn't feel prepared to run in that relay, Timothy here doesn't feel prepared to, to take the baton from Paul and then pass it on to the next generation. But, but that's what Paul is charging him to do. Paul knows he's about to die and he's, he's encouraging Timothy to go for it. Saying, Timothy, you, you can do it. And, and I want to look at the, the different keys that Paul gives him as, as motivation. What are the motivators that Paul uses to get Timothy to carry on? And the first one is relationship. The first one is banking on that relationship that Paul already has with Timothy. Building on that relationship of trust that they have. You see this in verse 1 and 2, and then it picks up a little bit in verse 4 as well. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved child. This is a standard introduction to the letter. You always get the, the introduction of who the letter's from and who the letter is to. And Paul lays out the relationship that they have here. First of all, Paul is an apostle. He's an official emissary, an ambassador of Christ. But there's great weight and authority here that, that Paul's communicating as an apostle, as an official of God. We've talked before that the word apostle uh, basically means literally a sent one, right? It just means being sent out. Much like the word we have, missionary, like the word missile. It means someone sent out. Um, the way it was most commonly used in the first century was a certifying uh, certificate that would go with official Roman cargo to say this is officially sent from the empire, from the emperor. So this is official business of the emperor. So that was the connotation in people's minds, the literal meaning sent out, and then the connotation of official business of the emperor. And that's, that's what an apostle was. They were someone that was officially sent out to represent the king, King Jesus. And so Paul says, I've got this authority. I'm I'm sent out by Christ. I've been commissioned by Him, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. I'm empowered by this promise of grace that God has given us in Christ Jesus. And then he says the letter is to Timothy, my beloved child. So there's this relationship of great authority, right? He's an apostle, someone really important. He's an official, but also a relationship of, of great tenderness. He says to my beloved child. This reminds me of, of the father-son relationship as it should be. Some of us have had parents that were very tender, but they, they weren't very good leaders. And some of us have had parents that were very forceful, very strong on discipline, but there wasn't much tenderness. I, I, I knew of a friend that had a picture here just to try to kind of conjure up that image of a father and a son, that relationship of, of tenderness and love there. I, I had a friend who whose father died when he was 12. And he, he had a lot of fear of his father. His father was a very harsh man. All authority and no tenderness. And his father brought him to his bedside right before he died and told him to take care of his mother and his baby brothers. And for this 12-year-old boy who always felt like a failure, and who never felt like he could measure up to the great standards of this father that was a tough taskmaster, a very authoritarian, that haunted him for the rest of his life because he never really felt like he could measure up. But, but that's not the kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy have here. The kind of relationship that Paul and Timothy have is, is one of authority, but also one of tenderness. Also one where Paul says, I love you, Timothy, and I believe in you, and we have this relationship. We, we've talked about it before that, that good parenting is, is both discipline and delight, Right? That if you want to be a good parent, you have to include both of those elements. You can't just harp on one without the other. You have to bring both of those together. That's the job for us as parents. Some of us are more natural at one than the other, and we've got to join those two. Fortunately, uh, we have often opposites that, that God has brought us together when, when there's couples. So a lot of times God, God helps us to balance each other out. 
But we, we need both of those for our children. In verse 4, Paul says, As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. We get a hint here of just the deep relationship that they had. That they loved each other. That Timothy meant a lot to Paul. Timothy was not just an employee. He wasn't just someone that Paul had hired because Timothy had a flashy resume and he thought, oh, this Timothy guy is really sharp. He can, he can lead pastors in, in uh, Western Asia and in Ephesus and he can get the churches set up for me. No, he, he had a relationship of trust. He had a track record. They'd worked together. They'd, they'd loved each other. They'd fought together. They'd cried together. They'd been through hardships together. We'll see that again and again through this book. They had suffered together. They were bonded together in this deep relationship. And, and the challenge I have for us this morning is, is do we understand that we have that kind of relationship from our Heavenly Father? Do, do you fully grasp the relationship that you have with your Heavenly Father? That it is a relationship of great authority, but it's also a relationship of great tenderness. And we talk about this again and again, that only in the, the gospel, only in the good news of Jesus Christ, we have brought together the idea of, of both authority and tenderness, of both law and gospel, of both justice and mercy, those things bound together in a God that is absolutely holy. He is absolutely holy. His standards are perfect. But His tenderness is so great, His delight in us is so profound that He met those standards on His own. But the gospel is that Jesus Christ entered into space and time and lived as a man and met those perfect standards for us and took our place. God didn't lower the standards for us. He met the standards. So only in Christianity do we have joined together that, that awesome, horrifying holiness and authority with that, that tenderness and that love. And that should be motivation for us. Just as that kind of relationship was motivation to Timothy. That he could do it, that he could keep it going, that he could pass the baton, keep it going to the next generation. That, that relationship should be motivation to us as well. Even if we don't have that kind of earthly relationship, we have that kind of relationship readily available to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Like it says in John 1, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. All we have to do is believe and receive that relationship. He gives that to us freely. He'll be our Father. And if you understand that, if you believe that, if you have that relationship with God, then you can begin to cultivate those kinds of relationships with other people. You can begin to be a mentor. You can begin to make disciples, to, to train others, to love others, to carry that on in their sphere of influence, in their circle, wherever God has placed them and placed you. Well, the next thing that we see is, is grace. We have grace to carry on. Paul says at the end of verse 2, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's easy to skip over these things when we read the New Testament letters of Paul because Paul says this kind of thing in all of his letters, right? But he says this kind of thing because it's so central and so important to Paul that these are the basics. W without grace, we have nothing. Without God's mercy, we have nothing. Without his peace, we have nothing. And that comes from God through Jesus Christ, he tells us. Grace, mercy, and peace from God. Grace is being given what we don't deserve. This great inheritance that we have. We've been given salvation. We've been, been given an inheritance as sons. Mercy is, is having the wrath of God withheld. That he, that he had compassion on us in our weakness. He showed us mercy. He forgave us. He didn't extend his wrath. But he withheld it and poured it out on the Son, Jesus. And peace is that reconciliation that we have. The most common thing people think of when they first hear the word peace is, is reconciliation between two warring parties, right? Two people are in conflict. We're at conflict with God. We, we hate God. We, we know we can't measure up to a standard, so we run the other way. We don't want to do what God tells us to do, or we don't want to even hear what he has to say. But in the gospel, we have reconciliation, and we have peace. In the Old Testament, this word peace is, is shalom. And, and it's got a, a broader connotation than just you know, no more war. And it has this broader understanding of things being the way they should be. You know those those times, those those rare times in Central Texas when the weather's perfect and you just you know, you're just enjoying a cool breeze and looking out at a beautiful sunset and you're like, Yes, this is this is the way life is supposed to be, right? 
or if you have little kids when they're they're happy and they're all playing together and just everything's you know everything's just kind of perfect and just fine. And you're like, this is it. This is this is what life's supposed to be like. When you get those fajitas and they're sizzling and guacamole, you know, I mean, just those little those little glimpses you get in life where where you say, yes, it's it's as it should be. Life is life is supposed to be like this all the time, and, and that's what it's going to be. That's what shalom is, this, this webbing together of everything in perfect harmony and in perfect peace that, that things are not broken any longer. We, we live with this kind of nagging anxiety and frustration because things are broken. Because the meal got burned or the kids are fighting or our family's in disarray or we're sick or you know whatever it may be, we, we have this constant nagging that the world is broken, that it's not as it should be. Romans 8 says that all of creation is groaning and creaking and longing that God would restore everything, that, that it would be finished, that everything would be at peace. That's what we're promised in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says comes through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 3, Paul goes on and he says that really he displays grace in his understanding of, of Timothy and their relationship as well. He says, I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. So Paul is both thanking God and he's praying for Timothy too. So he's thanking God for Timothy and he's praying, interceding for Timothy at the same time. So he's seeing Timothy as a gift of grace. God, thank you for Timothy. He's a blessing in my life. And he's also interceding. God, strengthen Timothy. Give your grace to Timothy. Give Timothy the strength to carry on. He's praying for him. So in, in his prayers, he's displaying God's grace to Timothy and giving Timothy the strength to carry on. And then the last thing I want to note is just this little phrase he says, this little aside. It, you, you might think of it as like a throwaway phrase where he says, I thank the God whom I serve, as did my ancestors. Paul saying, I serve this God and so did my ancestors. He, he's saying he serves the same God as, as the Old Testament Jews, as his Old Testament ancestors, his forebears. And that's easy to forget. We might start to think that the God of grace is a completely different God, right? Because we misunderstand all the intricacies of the law, and we misunderstand that really those were to point us to our need of God and to our need of grace. And we misunderstand it. But Paul is saying it's the same God. He's the same gracious God. Galatians says the same God that made promises of grace to Abraham makes promises of grace now. He's always been a gracious God. He always gives us Himself, even when we don't deserve it. The image that I, that I keep going back to again and again is the idea of a present, that it's a gift, that the life we have in Jesus is a gift we have to receive and open. It's not something we deserve. If we, if we understand the laws of Santa Claus, we know that He knows when we've been bad or good, right? And, and bad news, none of us have been good, right? None of us deserve the gift. None of us deserve His grace. So although Santa works by the system of, of good and bad and works and earning it, Jesus comes to us in grace and gives us the gift and says, open it, it's, it's free. Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. It's a free gift that all of us can, can open up, all of us can accept. Many people go to church their whole life thinking that the going is what makes God love them. They think that maybe the giving is what makes God love them. Pastors love it when you give, but that doesn't make God love you more. God loves you because of the action that He took on your behalf through Jesus Christ. It, it is free. All you have to do is accept that gift. And I would challenge you and encourage you, if you're one of those people that's always thought it's about what you're doing for God, to repent, to change your mind and turn the other direction and say, it's just a gift. It's just a gift that I can open and accept from Jesus Christ this morning. It's something that you can tell Him in your heart right now. Say, God, thank you for the free gift of life. And I accept it. Talk to someone. If someone invited you to church, share with them that you've made that decision, that you've accepted that gift. Share with me. Come talk to me after the service. But it's something that you have to open up and accept freely. Not something you can create, not something you can muster, not something you can make. It's a free gift. The last thing that we see is that sincerity is something that's going to enable Timothy to carry on. His sincerity is something very important that's going to enable him to 
carry on. It says in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. The word sincere, uh, the word in English, the English word sincere, it's sin without seer. Sarah is wax in Latin, so it's, it's one of those Latin root words that we have, and it basically means no wax. And you're probably wondering, why in English do we say no wax to mean sincere, right? Um, it, basically, what they would do in the ancient world is they would take clay pots, and if they were cracked, the way that they would kind of fix them, they'd glue them back together and they'd fill in the bumps and the sharp spots and the cracks with wax and then repaint them. And so then what you would do is you'd hold it up to the sun and you would sun test it and you could see the cracks then through the wax and you could know if it was sincere without wax or if it had wax and it was not sincere. I don't know how you say not sincere. Full of sear. And uh, so, so you would uh, see if it was fake and patched together, or if you see it, you'd see if it was the real thing. And they weren't trying to trick you by filling in the cracks with the wax. And, and that's a great English translation for this Greek word, because the Greek word is literally not hypocrite. Literally in the Greek, it's not hypocrite. I know that your faith is not hypocritical, Timothy. I've seen the same thing in you and in your mother and in your grandmother. It's not hypocritical, and hypocritical is, is the mask wearer. Hypocritical in the, in the first century was, was the one who was an actor, who was putting on a show. And so often that's how we do religion, right? For us, religion is just pretending. It's, it's wearing a mask. i got pictures here of like Mardi Gras or carnival masks or whatever those may be, where we, we pretend we're something we're not. I know when I was a little kid, we had this box of old costumes. I, I was the baby in the family, so there was like you know, 10 years worth of Halloween costumes in a box. And I remember that was like one of the funnest things in the world when I was six years old, was just to try on different costumes. I could be Planet of the Apes one day, I could be Superman the next day, I could be anything I wanted to. But it was, it was pretend, right? It was just a mask, I was just covering up who I really was. And Paul is saying, Timothy, what I love about you and why I believe in you is because I know your faith is for real. It's not fake. You're not just wearing a mask. You're not just pretending, Timothy. But, but, but this is the real deal. You have a real faith. This word faith, it's trust. Again, going back to this idea of grace, you're trusting in God. You're not trusting in your own strength. Timothy, it's not about how strong you are, or how popular you are, or how impressive you are, or, or what you've achieved at work, or what you've achieved with your family, what you've achieved in the business world. Timothy is trusting in God. And that's what makes it a sincere faith. Saying, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. And, and Paul is calling to mind the sincerity of his mother and grandmother as well, that, that Timothy actually has this beautiful family heritage. And I would encourage you, as Paul seems to be encouraging Timothy here, to leverage whatever spiritual heritage you have. Leverage it. Use it. Lean on it. Grow in that heritage. But remember that it's not about what other people have done before you. It's about your faith. Because we can look at this verse and we can say, Oh, look, Paul's talking all about his grandmother and his mother, and it's all about that godly heritage. Well, no, the emphasis, again, is on the sincerity that Timothy himself really trusts God. It's not an act. It's not a mask. He's not just trusting in his family heritage. He's trusting in God himself. Some of you may think, yeah, I don't, I don't have much of a family heritage at all, right? <coughs> you may be thinking about maybe a painful relationship with your dad, and I think, I think Timothy had maybe a painful relationship with his dad as well. Because his dad was nowhere to be seen. There's no mention of his dad's faith. All we know about his dad is that he was a Greek never says anything about him being a believer. Yet his mother and his grandmother are, are cited here and, and applauded for their sincere faith. So we know that Timothy, probably like most of us, had this mixed heritage as well. And Paul's leveraging the good side as much as he can. Paul's not spending a lot of time with Timothy talking about what a victim he is, what a loser dad he had. No, he's just talking about, you know, you had this great heritage of faith with your mom and your grandma. And I see that sincere faith in you, Timothy. And that's going to give you strength to carry on. As we're going to see again and again in, in 2 Timothy, hard times are going to come. Suffering is going to come. 
And he's encouraging Timothy to trust in God. Trust in Jesus to get you through, Timothy. You, you can make it. As we, uh, as we designed the uh, art for our series, we were trying to kind of build off of what we looked at with Titus. With Titus, we had the art of the city, and we had some kind of abstract things coming down of, of uh, God's Word raining down on the city when we were talking about counterculture in Titus. And in this one, we've got the city with green grass growing out from it in the middle of a desert wasteland. And I was trying to kind of connotate the idea of the first great commission that we're given in Genesis. Remember in Genesis, before Adam and Eve rebelled, God gave them paradise. He gave them this garden in the middle of this desert wasteland world. And he said, be fruitful and multiply. Spread. Have dominion over the whole earth. And instead of spreading paradise, they sinned. And they believed the lie that they could do life on their own, that they didn't need God. And so again and again, as we looked at Titus and we looked at the idea of this counterculture that a church should be building, we, we talked about the idea of rebuilding a culture, a city, a, a community, a society based on the truth of God. That we would be a culture within a culture, a city within a city, a community within a community that, that actually believes God and what He says. And then as we believe that, that'll, that'll change us, that'll transform us. That from the inside out, good things will grow and begin to spread. That, that's the emphasis now in 2 Timothy, on the spreading. That it would spread out, that we would carry on to the next generation. I promised you that I would uh, share with you the, the end of the story when I was running the relay race, right? I was, the, the whole goal was that I would get the baton to the next guy. I wasn't prepared. And as I was coming to that last stretch, I began to wonder in my mind, was, was he saying that he knew I would spill my guts before I finished or, or after I finished the race? You know, when, when he said, Dave, I know you'll go out there and spill your guts for us. But what did he mean? Because I didn't know if I was going to make it. But because he had confidence in me, because he believed in me, not because I was strong enough, not because I was trained, because I certainly wasn't. I've been actually doing all I could to just gain weight and get big. I wasn't prepared to run that race at all. But because of his confidence and his encouragement, that gave me the strength to carry on. That encouraged me to pass that baton on to the next guy. Who was able to pass the baton on to the next guy? Who was able to finish the race? God has entrusted all of us with the baton. The baton of, of his gospel. The good news of his grace. God has come into your lives and He's transformed you. You've believed that He loves you. But yes, He is that holy and awesome God. But He's also a God of tenderness and love and delight in you. So much so that He gave His Son, Jesus, for you. And if you trust in that, you've, you've been given a baton. And you need to carry that on. Whether or not you feel like you can run or not, you're, you're probably like me. You're probably thinking, God, I'm, I'm not trained for this. I can't run this race. I don't know what to do with it. Give it to somebody else. But I want to encourage you, he's given it to you. And he wants you to run with it. All of us have different gifts. We all have different running styles. We all have different speeds. But, but he wants you to run the race. He wants you to carry on with this baton. And pass it on to the next generation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much. You gave us your son, Jesus. And Father, we thank you for the incredible privilege that you've given us of entrusting us with your work. That your plan was, was not to just drop your truth from heaven in little leaflets, but that you entrusted it to us. Just as you entrusted it to Paul, just as you entrusted it to Timothy, just as you entrusted it to, to millions of others before us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be faithful where you've placed us in our jobs, in our families that we would carry the truth you've given us, that we would live by it, and we would pass it on to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, we'll stand as we sing this last song. I just um, kind of chose this song uh, just because kind of it's, it's just a great capture and encapsulation of the gospel. And this is what we are sharing um, and this is what we should be all about is knowing God in Christ Jesus and um, just taking hold of that fact. And whether you sing this song a thousand times or never sing it before, 
um, I think we need to be reminded this is the truth that we should be holding on to and clinging to daily. Um, so let's let's sing this out together as a church. Thank you for your love. We pray that you'd give us the strength to carry on, that we would be about your business. Thank you for including us in your work. I pray that you'd strengthen us in Jesus' name.